Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Vegas 64. I'm Paul Shaughnessy, joined on the line by Cody Saftik. Got 12 fights to bet on this week, Cody. Good times all the way around. I mean, it's not the greatest card, but like we were talking about just before the show, it's like, you know, outside of the pay-per-views these days, it's it's a lot of these Vegas cards, at least, are, you know, they're, they're an excuse, they're an opportunity for us to bet on fights. There may not be anything too, too, you know, mind-bending or interesting, but like, hey, there's fights to bet on on Saturday. We would have killed for some of this stuff way back in the day when there was like a card per month. So uh, I'm not going to complain about it all that much. Uh, this episode of the Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of the Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by Prize Picks. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit. Let's get into the action. We've got Marina Rodriguez taking on Amanda Lamoche. Minus 220 Rodriguez plus 180 Amanda Lamoche. Take it away, Cody. Yeah, no, I guess I got to agree with the line. It's just, it's another headliner that I don't have a ton of interest in that I think, you know, in theory could go other way. But Reina Rodriguez is just on a run right now. She really seems like she's the next title challenger, the viable title challenger. We've seen her go five rounds before. She went five rounds with Mackenzie Dern. She went five rounds against uh, Michelle Watterson. I feel like she's got that experience to go into that deeper waters. Good striking acumen, obviously. It really always does come down to her takedown defense. And the fight stays standing. She's got more than enough volume and more than enough power for the division. Not necessarily power in terms of knockout finishes, but power in terms of she gets her opponent's respect. And with Amanda Lamoche, um, as talented as she may be, I don't know, man. I'm just not particularly sold on her. She was a little bit... um, a little bit older coming into the UFC, I suppose. She's 35, 30, uh, 34, 35 years old. Just doesn't have that big that big key victory for me. When you look at Marina Rodriguez, here's someone that's fought everybody in the division, right? She's fought in the grapplers and not done particularly well. She's fought in those veteran strikers and done very well. She's very efficient with what she does. And, of course, four-fight winning streak. When I look at Lamarche, the wins include a loss to Leslie Smith in her debut up a weight class, but... Miranda Granger, released. Inoue Mizuke, uh, Mizuke Inoue, released. Liviana Souza, what a terrible run she had, released. Montserrat Ruiz, she really just only had that one head and arm throw, right? One trick pony, not a huge win. The Angela Hill fight, interesting to me because that's the first time she takes on one of these veteran opponents that's durable enough to go 15 full minutes with her and strike back. And again, that Angela Hill fight is very, very close. Shows a split decision, but she wins the first round on the basis of the knockdown to Hill. Hill outworks her in the second. It's 1-1 going into the third. Very close round. You can give it to Angela Hill. So I think that's what you see when she's, Kind of brought up a level. Of course, loses the next fight to Jessica Andrade. Not even remotely uh, competitive, but you give her a pass on that one. And then she got her own fight with Michelle Watterson, who I, I don't know. I don't. I hate disrespecting a fighter and saying they're not what they used to be. But in the case of Watterson, really does seem like that was the end of her you know, competitive run at the highest level. So they show solid victories on paper. Just don't necessarily think that they're as quality as Marina Rodriguez. So how does this fight play out? Well, I'm thinking Marina Rodriguez is going to be able to keep it standing, box her up. If she does happen to get taken down, um, you know, survive the position. She's excellent at surviving. Went a, a full round on the ground with Mackenzie Dern on top of her. So maybe the defensive jiu-jitsu is good enough. But through five rounds, just be able to win more of the striking exchanges standing, win more of the rounds standing, and then thus get the decision victory. So I will take Marina Rodriguez, Marina Rodriguez by decision. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not running to the bookie saying take my money. 
Yeah, that's fair enough. I, I agree with a whole bunch of your points that you just had there. The, the thing that really I struggle with is minus 220. That's like almost 69% win probability. It's like, I mean, if they fought 10 times, like 7-3 Rodriguez doesn't sound too far off to me. Like a lot of people got like the minus 150 on Rodriguez, you know, like a, a couple weeks ago. That was, I think there was a little bit of value, a little bit of meat on the bone there. I think it's priced about right, to be perfectly honest. Um I actually don't really like the decision prop, to be perfectly honest. I think I, I struggle with Amanda Lamas and thinking that she can fight five rounds. Um, she's always kind of slowed in round three. She's been booked in five round fights before, but she's gotten finished or has gotten a finish in those spots. Um, Rodriguez has proven it, you know, twice already that she can go five rounds. She can go five hard rounds. Uh, the cardio holds up for her. Um, I've been considering the under. We'll see where the, the line goes over the course of the week. Maybe I can get some plus money on that. And, yeah, like, Lamas and some of the Brazilians are all having issues trying to get into <laughs> – I mean, I think Lamas got there, like, earlier today, uh, today being Wednesday when we record the show. But, yeah, a bunch of them are – there's a whole bunch of, you know – uh, I think it was like a trucker rally or something like that going on in Brazil. Don't I don't know. I don't know international <laughs> politics. I don't know everything that's going on, but I know that a whole bunch of the Brazilians on this card have had some issues uh, getting stateside. So that's not going to help. And Lamash, I think, cuts a lot of weight to get down to 115. That all factors into the underplay that I'm considering. Um, but I'll probably wait until weigh-ins because I, I really don't think it's going to get like two out of hand. I'll still be able to get some action in on it, um, even if it goes up to minus one fifty. If like if Lamash has a really bad weight cut and it's like visible, um, that would make me even like it even more. But uh, Marina Rodriguez is the pick for the purposes of the show. I'm not going to be attacking the minus two twenty though. We got Neil Mag. Oh, sorry, and um, almost threw off producer Megan there. I think Marina Rodriguez 120 significant strikes on prize picks. Considering the fact that I like the under, considering I like, I, I don't know if Lamosh can fight for five rounds. I think 120 significant strikes. She got over that in her five round fights, but like Mackenzie Dern doesn't really have much striking defense. She just kind of barrels forward and just takes the shots. Um, I, I I like but don't love it. The under 120.5 significant strikes on prize picks. Um. Yeah, let's move on now. Now we got Neil Magny taking on D-Rod. Daniel Rodriguez, minus 115. Magny, minus 105. D-Rod. Straight pick him, Cody. Who you got? In towards old D-Rod. Daniel Rodriguez to edge it. What's going to be a close and competitive decision. That's ultimately it. The line set that way. Both guys, I don't want to say both guys are decision guys. Just most guys tend to actually go to decision, right? So uh, in this case, yeah, I think that they're going to be able to grinding each other up against the cage, land strikes in the open space. D-Rod's going to edge out a close and competitive decision, but that's what I got to go with. Neil Magny getting a little bit older, 35 years old. Him at his best relies on his wrestling pretty heavily. I mean, he's really excellent at not only just securing takedowns, but if he can't get them, controlling opposition up against the cage. His striking numbers, his total volume, it's not particularly high, but when you're in a dominating position up against the cage or on the ground, obviously you're going to win rounds. When you look at his losses, though, it's when he's not able to get the fight to the ground. And increasingly, as he kind of gets a little bit older, I just don't see him getting these fights to the ground as much anymore. Two fights back against Max Griffin, he struggles mightily going, I think, 
he went one for eight, one for eight on takedowns. Um, didn't have that smothering control. Ends up winning a split, the decision over Max Griffin, but got outstruck in that fight. Didn't look good in that fight. Kind of looked like writing was on the wall. And then against Shafkat Rachmanov, I'll totally give him a pass there. But uh, but I do think you see the days of of Neil Magny as an elite guy. Maybe not so much there anymore. Maybe he's more of a, that always been a gatekeeper, but less and less. Rachmanov easily takes him down, easily hangs out on top of him, and then eventually submits him in the second round. So, again, Neil Magny is a good, serviceable type fighter. He's durable. He can take a punch for the most part. Yeah, he's there to give a guy rounds and experience. But without those takedowns and with that control, going to be an issue. Now, the problem in this matchup against Daniel Rodriguez is he's a big boy, big, strong guy. Does get taken down from time to time, but generally always able to pop back up. His last fight against Jing Liang Lin gives up one takedown, comes back up right immediately. Uh, fight against Kevin Lin, give up three takedowns, mostly early in that fight. But BJJ Black Belt, 10th Planet guy, very comfortable on the ground. And then he's able to mostly just neutralize his opponents, get back up. And when he does get back up, it's the superior volume. Take a look at pretty basically all of his fights. So Jing Liang Lin, he lands 88 significant strikes, mm. low by his standard, but otherwise still pretty good, right? <clears throat> My apologies. Him versus Kevin Lee, 120 significant strikes landed over over uh, 15 minutes. And that was with Lee dominating the early portion and grappling the early portion. Him versus Preston Parsons, last one single round, he had landed 45 in that first round. Him versus Mike Perry, 129. Him versus Nick Dalby, 83. They're all very high on the punch output, right? So when you're not able to hold him down, he's going to work that jab. He's going to work that straight. He's going to work the body. He, uh, he generally holds up pretty good over the course of 15 minutes and is able to put that up. Magni, meanwhile, because he's relying so much on trying to grapple, he doesn't throw up similar numbers. In pretty much all of his fights, he's hanging around that 60, uh, always sub-70 strikes landed, uh, significant strikes landed mark because, again, he's trying to employ this heavy grappling game plan. And though it worked in the past, it's not as effective now. If he's not mm -hmm. able to lean on him now in the apex with a very small crowd where you can hear the acoustics, it's going to be the man actually landing the more volume, the more mm -hmm. shots. And that's got to be Daniel Rodriguez. So I will take him, and I'll try to fancy it up a little bit, probably by taking him by decision. Interesting. Yeah, no, I, I generally agree again on that fight. Um, the more impactful shots, you know, Neil Magny should be able to use that reach, land a whole bunch of jabs and uh, pitter patter. I think the, the more significant strikes will be landed by Rodriguez. And, you know, the, the, the shift in judging these days, uh, judges, if you land a big, you know, clean overhand right versus, you know, three jabs like they're given or five jabs, ten jabs, whatever. It's like the big shots are getting rewarded. Um, that's kind of how I see this one. And, I, yeah, I don't know if Magny's going to be able to, like, absolutely dominate the grappling. That's where he's had success and he's had failures. It's like when he takes on grapplers that are better than him, it's been, uh, you know, big-time problem for him. Um, yeah, D-Rod for me as well really comes down to volume or good volume. Like, Neil, Neil's stats are probably a little bit skewed because he – throws that jab out so often and they don't count jabs as a significant strike. So I'd be more curious, like what are his, uh, nah, we don't have to get into it, but um, his regular strikes in a lot of these matchups, like let's pull up versus Max Griffin. So yeah, in, uh, in total strikes, it was 104 total strikes, but only 54 were significant strikes. So he's definitely active but the shots that he's landing don't really win the judges over. So I'm with you. Uh, D-Rod for me as well. Uh, we got Chase, the Vanilla Gorilla. Sherman taking on Josh Parisian. Minus 130 
German, plus 110 Parisian. This is low-level heavyweights, Cody Saftik. On the main card, the UFC loves it. Unbelievable. I mean, they cut. They cut. Good for Chase. Good for Chase. Like it, I thought his career was like over, over when they cut him, and then they needed somebody to fight uh, Alexander Romanov, and they were like, "Come on back." He's like four and nine in the <laughs> UFC, um, coming off of you know his best UFC performance in a third round TKO of Jared Vandera, I suppose. Um, yeah, this is low level, low level stuff these days. Um, I'm going to go with Chase. I think he's the better striker. I'm not overly impressed by what Parisian can do in the grappling department. I don't know if I'm going to get to minus 130 on him from a betting perspective. Um, I don't see any over. See, they're even they're even getting wise to this. It's just like I'd lo- I would like to get in on like an over one and a half between these two guys because I really think that they're like two heavyweights that don't have like big time finishing ability. But all I see out there right now is an over two and a half, which is plus one thirty. Don't mind that. But to go in line with my over sentiment. Uh, Chase Sherman, more than 45.5 significant strikes. Seems pretty decent to me. Um, I added that mm. on prize picks uh, to my card this week because, I mean, just go through a whole bunch of Chase Sherman fights. It's like if he's not dying in the first couple minutes, like against Romanov, it's like against Vandera, 137. It's like you could clear... If these guys stand upright for seven and a half minutes, like he's getting over 45 and a half significant strikes. So don't mind that. I'm leaning towards Chase, but like I'm not going to be stunned if like Parisian uses that extra little bit of weight, a little bit of girth that he carries around to, you know, pin him down, hold him up, hold him up against the cage a little bit. It's a greasy, greasy, low level heavyweight fight that I could see going the entire. Uh, full distance but the the books are kind of wise to it you know back in the day we'd get like you know plus 200s plus 250s on like anything to go to decision between heavyweights and you know they're getting a little bit more wise about the matchup so a fight goes to the decision is like plus 200 can be had out there i don't mind that to be perfectly honest i think it's just a full out slop fest what's your take here uh, yeah, I actually think it's going to go to decision too. Only problem with banking on a heavy, this baby's going to decision is Sherman's last fight with Jared Vandero, where another slob fest would mm-hmm. played out to be a total slob fest, super entertaining, but both guys had their moments and clashed on each other. And there's less than two minutes. I feel like I'm starting to get out of the woods here. It's like, okay, minute 50 left. Uh, he's already ta- very, both guys have already taken each other's best shots, and boom, Sherman folds him up. So, yeah, I think it's going to decision, but the problem with a guy like Chase Sherman is he's going to fight hard the entire 15 minutes. Once it gets sloppy, they're going to throw down because that's kind of what he does. And for Josh Parisian, yeah, that's kind of his thing too. You know, he's tough, he's durable, he's extremely sloppy, and the only way he can win a fight is just by making it greasier than you can make it, getting you tired, and capitalizing on that. But I got to go with Chase Sherman. First of all, Chase Sherman's just got the experience and that he's fought in the UFC against some pretty good guys. Uh, I feel like he's starting to get a little more comfortable, got released, came back. Again, does the UFC favors and takes fights. Released from the promotion, as you mentioned, brought back to fight Romanov, and they gave him a ton of money just to fight him. They were just like, hey, man, we're going to double your salary just to take this fight with Alexander Romanov that no one else does. 
Here's the thing. The one fight prior versus Jake Collier, he had got taken down and choked out in the first round and looked awful. And that's yeah. why everyone was like, yo, cut this bum, right? <laughs> but when he fought Romanov, even though he got taken down and got subbed in the first round as well, his hips looked way better. You could tell he'd been wrestling. And he gets up the first two times Romanov takes him down. And it's like, oh, damn, dude. He's actually working on it. Unfortunately, Romanov's one of these guys that's able to smother you and keep on you, and he's able to beat Chase Sherman. To me, that was a much better-looking version of Chase Sherman. And then he comes out in his next fight for Jared Vandera. I bank on the, I think he's back in shape. His lone win in the UFC since they brought him back was Ike Villanueva, a fight he tested positive in. The Orlovsky fight, he's got all the back knee. Fight after, he looks, you know, flat. Now he looks himself. He's still young enough, especially for heavyweight, that I feel like he is improving. He's mobile. He's got tons of volume. And I, and maybe he's never going to be, again, an upper echelon guy. He'll kind of be a journeyman gatekeeper. Um, against this level, this is where he wins. This is where he shines. Superior volume, stay to the outside, outwork this guy, probably go to decision. But um, but Chase Sherman, I do see some improvements to his game. Josh Parisian, meanwhile, you know, he's about as low level as he's going to get. But where would you say he's good? Standing? No, he's a punching bag. It's like, well, what about on the ground? Dante Mayles took him down six, six times. times. Like, his grappling is atrocious. And it's just like, oh, well, how could he win a fight? It's like that thing inside his chest, his heart. Well, he happens to have an enlarged one. <laughs> you've seen this guy. Oof. Uh, he's got a big heart. He's got a big heart, and he he physically wants to get in there and wants to win by any means necessary. And whether the skill doesn't reflect it, you're going to be able to beat some guys. And so in his last fight with Alan Bodo, if you remember this, he's actually the betting underdog. And I put a few bucks on it for no other reason than why would you bet Alan Bodo as a favorite? But Alan Bodo kicked his ass in the first round, dude. He did. Which... I suppose Bodo's had a few good first rounds in the UFC and tends to fade off, but there's no denying he couldn't find the distance against him. He's getting beat to the punch. He got big time out of volume in that first round. And in the second, when Alan Bodo tired, he fell on top of him and took advantage of that. Maybe a Chase Sherman in the past who could have done that. I think his takedown defense has vastly improved. Good enough. To, to stop everything Josh Parisian's going to throw his way, circle out, stay to the outside, and use that volume. Beat him up and just continuously do it. Whereas Bodo can't fight for more than a round, Sherman's one of these guys that's always gassed out, but always fights 15 minutes, so he knows how to do it. And I think he'll be able to go there and, and do it against Josh Parisian. So I got him winning. Again, if you want to be fancy and you want to try to juice it up, probably take him by decision. Yeah. Uh, what is that actually right now? Parisian by, or sorry, Sher, Shermania is running wild. Shermania by decision plus 350. Don't mind that. We'll see when like more props open up. Uh, we got Tajir Ulambekov taking on Nate Maness. Minus 220 Ulambekov plus 180 Nate Maness. I mean, this seems like brother Habib and company called in and were just like the guy that cousin Umar took down and controlled for you know 15 minutes we need to get to, we need to get Tajir somebody who doesn't really have grappling off of their back cuz that was you know a losing effort obviously last time out for Tajir i've never really been a Tajir guy but i've also kind of learned like since like ufc 280 it's like when when Khabib's in these guys corners I don't know how much money I want to be do like spending to fade. Um, yeah, sorry. It was the Nascimento fight he got exposed, and then he further got exposed against Tim Elliott. I was on Elliott in that spot as well. It's just like he he has all of the you know the skills the 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 Sambo practitioner 
is in him. Like they've he's learned all of the skills of these other guys, but I really struggled to see like the same strength that uh, that you see in Islam Makachev and cousin Umar and Kub uh, and Habib. He just doesn't seem to really have it. Uh, Nate Maness could absolutely spark him on the feet here. It's just a matter of how long he spends up there. For the purposes of this show, I'll, I'm going to pick Nate Maness, but like, I'm really on the fence here. Um, I just really don't want to be backing Tajir at like minus 220. Really against too much of the 125-pound roster to be perfectly honest so i'll pick the maness there's other underdogs that i prefer to him on this card that we'll talk about later though uh what's your take here yeah i actually am gonna go ahead and agree with you now this one does painting because i don't bet against tajiru lembekov i'm a big fan of his uh the Khabib connection as you mentioned here's a guy that's known him personally since he was like a kid they've trained together in the mountains of dagestan and uh, yeah man he's got good combat sambo he's got good wrestling he's got all these intangibles that i like of course he's young he's getting better he's fought at a high level overseas prior to coming to the ufc but uh yeah you can make the argument that the results aren't really there i mean they debuted him against bruno silva which was soft by their terms but bruno silva gave him one hell of a fight Almost beat him and upset him in his debut. Took him down four times. Um, outstruck him. Shit, man. And then this kid was a super Russian whiz kid. Maybe not, but maybe he'll get more comfortable. The next fight with Alan Nascimento. Much of the same, dude. Nascimento attacked him with 100 submission attacks. Like, even though he could get takedowns, his jiu-jitsu is not world class. No. It's not like he's Islam Makachev. He's just going to shut down every attempt you have and smash your face in. Like, for the most part, Alan Nascimento was causing these scrambles. It's a split decision win for Tajir. But of course, do you think I felt good about it listening to them read the split decision? No, man, not a good performance. That is now, technically speaking, two in a row. So I sit across from you and I bet him against Tim Elliott. You mentioned, I don't know, man, Tim Elliott's one of these guys that has a sneaky way of keeping fights closed, making them greasy. This kid hasn't looked particularly good. I didn't take your advice on it. Tim tires him out, takes him down three times. Uh, doesn't outstrike him, but at the same time, dude, landed some pretty good shots. Uh, not impressed, and he lost. And that one I had nowhere to blame because his, his debut doesn't look good against Bruno Silva. His next fight doesn't look good against Alan Nascimento. Against Tim Elliott, he's not going to look good. Uh, at some point, you can just keep going by that theory like, oh, dude, the Khabib effect. You're not wrong. He probably does show up looking better than he has. He is still very talented. But part of me is like, I'm not seeing the results per se. And whereas I think he can beat Nate Maness, this is a card where it looks like there's a pile of, you know, greasy pick em type fights. Mm -hmm. And yet I find myself routinely betting a lot of the favorites. Well, which one of these underdogs is going to come through and shine a bit? Could be Nate Maness. Could be Nate Maness. So now why him? Because we're not just auto-fading Tajir. We like Tajir. It would have to be somebody decent enough to cause us to even consider him. And in Nate Maness's case, he's a plus money kind of guy, man. He can get him up for plus money. He'll come in and do the damn thing. In his debut against Johnny Munoz, maybe he lost. Maybe he lost. But it's important to note that Johnny Munoz went two for 16 on takedown attempts. He was just trying to take Maness down the whole time. And the kid from Kentucky... Turns out he's got some decent hips, pretty strong guy, able to keep it out, right? Grease it out, close decision, I get it, but he wins. Next fight against Luke Sanders, Luke only tried one, but easily stuffs it out, lost the first round, got rocked in the first round, and then uh, comes back, uses that pace, starts making him work, starts making him tire, hurts Luke Sanders, and of course, you know, Luke Sanders has got that quitter mentality, he's able to force that quit out of him. Tony Gravely, Tony Gravely Almost is a guy died. that... Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he almost died in the first round. He got his mm -hmm. jaw broken, okay? He hits the ground at the end of the first with a broken jaw, and his corner quite literally has to pick him up, which I'm told is against the rules. But anyways, they let him do it. They carry him back to his corner. They have to, like, throw water on him, fan him off, tell him, yo, man, 
we're in a fist fight right now and you need to wake up. And with all that damage, comes out and knocks out Tony Gravely in the second round and uh, and pull, pulls off pulls off the comeback. Now, what's important to note that, about that one is he shows you the heart. He shows you that he's a guy that's quote-unquote going to fight for your money. He's going to go out on a shield if need be. But also, coming into that second round with all of that damage, he stuffs the shit out of Tony Gravely's takedowns and boxes him up, right? Gravely's a guy that wrestled collegiately at Appalachian State, three-time state champion in Virginia. Uh, solid wrestler, right? One for six on takedowns against Nate Maness. So I'm thinking you're seeing that he's got that tough, durable takedown defense. Now now he gets Umar, and Umar Umar's blows. amazing is the thing, right? Umar blows like... the titties off him and makes him look, you know, pedestrian, for sure, for sure. Bad performance against Umar, who takes him down, holds him down, but, but the small bright lights, I suppose, is... I don't know, he went to decision. And uh, and beyond all that, those fights are all at 135 pounds, okay? Mm. This fight's at 125 pounds. And I think that, to me, was the X factor, is knowing that he probably is a better striker than Tajir. If the fight was to stay standing, I think Tajir might try to get that early volume going, but it's a lot of pitter-patter shots. Shots Like you uh, you mentioned with Neil Magny, it's a lot of touch-and-go stuff that's not coming up on the significant stats. That's Tajir. Meanwhile, Nate Maness, he's going to be landing some combinations in tight, making him work making him tired, making him de- get desperate, making him shoot those shots. And he's shown decent takedown defense in the past. Not great against against Umar. I get it. But now at 125, he can bring back that that solid takedown defense that he's had and apply it, um, stuff some takedowns to keep this thing fight this fight standing. Even if you get taken down, you got to work back up and make him work. And so if he was the favorite, yeah, I would had nothing to do with it. But at plus money, I think there's a viable chance for him to go out there and do that. So maybe you want to wait until Friday, see weigh-ins, see what Nick Manessa looks like at 125 pounds before you want to pull the trigger. But again, I think he's in one of these live underdog spots. And yeah. and and the why is he fighting a second Russian in a row? Well, kudos to Nate Manessa because who the hell signs up for these fights, right? But he does. So you're seeing that heart out of him. But I see this routinely as a matchmaker. Is somebody from the same camp would be like, oh, my guy beat that guy. Oh, my guy. Because they just automatically assume like, well, in the gym, I'm competitive with Umar Nurmagomedov, and he's saying that this guy was easy, and I seen the fight. I was at the fight. I was in his corner for the fight. The guy didn't do shit off his back. I'd smash that guy, and they don't even think about it any more than I know who he is. I've seen him fight before. I'll smash him, right? Not really maybe that that thought process put into it the same way as some random opponent you've never heard before. So Nate Maness could give him problems, especially at 125, so lock me in for him as an underdog. Yep, we're on the same page there. Or uh, let's move on. We've got Grant Dawson taking on Mark O. Madsen. Minus 220. Dawson plus 180 for Madsen. Who you got here, buddy? So this is another one I kind of feel like maybe the underdog's live for a shot, but I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble coming to the conclusion of pulling the trigger on him. In terms of Grant Dawson, I think that he's super skilled, young kid, got that grit, got that uh, James Krause backing behind him. They come in with relatively good game plans and obviously hardworking kid, but he has a good grappling acumen by regional show standards. And is he going to be able to apply it at the highest level and get to a world championship fight? Not quite sure, but he's young enough that he needs to tread in, in, into that direction. And then looking at his fights, uh, I think he's almost stalled out, so to speak, at some point. Him versus Leo Santos, is it not a good performance in the slightest bit? He The first two rounds are ultra competitive. In fact, James Krause is telling him going into the third, you might be losing two rounds to Leo Santos. You need to wake up. If you remember that fight, he knocks Leo Santos out with one second left on the clock. But otherwise, not a particularly good performance. Now, you chalk that one up to be to Santos being high-level BJJ black belt, but I think you see Grant Dawson struggle against another elite grappler. Now, thank mm-hmm. God Leo Santos is 41 years old and can't strike or can't wrestle. 
he got away with it in that fight. But in the next fight against Ricky Glenn, again, starts off good early, gets his takedowns early, and he's dominating. And then he flat gasses. Now, I'd never seen him to have a bad gas tank before, but Ricky Glenn probably lose, well, yeah, he lost the first two rounds and then 10 8 him in the third round. He absolutely mauled him in that third, got a 10 8. As a result, the fight's a draw. And then Ricky Glenn talked a whole bunch of shit after the fight. It was like, buddy, you were done. You were done. And Grant Dawson just kind of had to shell up and take it. Now, uh, I wasn't sure how he'd come out in his next fight against Jared Gordon. Of course, that being his last fight. But he looked good again. His cardio looked solid. He got seven takedowns over Jared Gordon. He was able to push that pace. And that's all well and good. But against a guy of the caliber of Mark Manson, um, caliber in terms of just strictly wrestling, I don't think he's a completely well-rounded mixed martial artist. I don't know if he'll ever be a completely well-rounded mixed martial artist, but certainly his wrestling acumen is a lot higher than Grant Dawson. Mm -hmm. So Grant Dawson's kind of struggled with some of these heavy pressure grapplers in the past. Is it not possible that Madsen's the one getting the takedowns, ending up on top and just grinding into him? Because that's kind of how Madsen fights. And I thought he straight up lost to your boy Vince Bichel the last time. We bet Vince Bichel, where you're the nah, Bichel whisperer. Vince gave this up, Vince gave up that takedown in round three, man, and wasn't able to get up. It was bad. Yeah, but I lost my Bichel my... whisperer. It was just, it was just a whole bad situation, I Cody. I know, I know. I, 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 I thought Bichel lost. I, I thought it was pretty clear that Madsen won round three, and that gave him the decision. Okay, so that's what I'm getting at, though. But when you look at the analytics of this fight, Vince Pichello strikes him 24 to 18 in the first round. Vince Pichello strikes him 22 to 13 in the second round. And Vince Pichello strikes him 22 to 8 in the third round, right? So one guy was wrestling. You're right. He got three takedowns. The other guy's punching him in the face and attempting to fight him. Yeah. Outstrikes him overall in the fight by 30 significant strikes. Outstrikes him in all three rounds. And it strikes him more decisively in each round prior to the last. And yet people want to give Mark Madsen the third round because he got outstruck 22 to 8, but got a takedown. Not enough for me, Holmes. Not enough for me. But MMA judging is a bitch, right? And so that's why I feel like a guy like Mark Madsen could be live in a spot against a guy like Grant Dawson because if for no other reason than he stays at the outside, throws his jab and his leg kick the way he did against Clay Guida and mixes in a few takedowns, he could rub one out against, uh, you know, a, a tight decision on the judges' scorecards. What are they going to be favoring? I agree Dawson probably should win this fight, but I'm scratching my head finding out he's usually the one dictating where he wants it to be. If he wants it on the ground, it goes to the ground. If he wants it standing, it stays standing. But he's always the one dictating that. And in Madsen's case, if Madsen throws in those takedowns the same way he did, did against Vince, starts mm -hmm. getting a little more comfortable in there, starts getting a little bit better, shows you a new wrinkle, I thought he looked like shit against Clay Guida, but he showed you striking in the Clay Guida fight. Almost 100 significant he, strikes in that fight, too. No yeah, takedowns, yeah, which was very infuriating um, in that spot. But he, he showed that he had like, a little bit of ability on the feet. I'm not sure about what Grant can really do on the feet, so I'm with you. I think this is a dogger pass spot. Um, so Maness, Madsen, those are guys I'm considering. Um uh, betting this week like it's kind of one of those cards for me i think this week where i'm gonna take a few dog shots and hopefully i end up in the profit like i'm not overly confident in any of them but i'm definitely not confident enough to be laying like decent sized chalk on really anybody on this card to be perfectly honest so sounds like we're on the same page to be perfectly honest and just to go back to the vince fight I mean, round one was like 24, uh, 24 to 18 in significant strikes, and Madsen got a takedown. And 20, like, I think he got it right at the end of the round. And you know how judges think about these things. So, and then round three, it was like, sure, it was 22 to eight in significant strikes, but 
Madsen had three minutes and 57 seconds of control time. So he's just like, you know, he just hugged him. He laid on top of him. But, I know that's uh, that's what I that's what I hate, but that's what makes these guys live as plus money. I, I wouldn't say you lost your Pichel whisper. I, I would say if this is Japan, they probably give it to Vince Michelle, right? Yeah, it's who's sitting there cage side it's is the ultimate side. issue. And in a small, if this is a huge arena show, right? Then when Madsen's on top, he's getting booed, and when Madsen's standing and he gets hit a few times, they're going to cheer against you because you're the guy that's doing the holding on. But in the apex, you're free to do whatever the hell you want, man. You're going to just lie on top of the guy, slowly tick away the clock, and then get the W by that means. So it's another spot where greasy card, greasy spot, but dog or pass, maybe you take the dog. I am going to outright lock in the pick there as Nate Maness for a dog in the last one. This one, I'm still kind of on the fence, but for the purposes of this show right now, I'll take the underdog, Mark Madsen. All right. So two pooches uh, for both of us. Oof. We're on the same page. All right, moving on. Let's see if we're on the same page for this one. We have Shailan Nerdan Bieke taking on Derek Minner. Minus 220, Nerdan Bieke. Minner can be had for plus 180. Take it away. Uh, I, 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 Okay, so this is kind of a spot that got me trapped last week and a pain for it, but maybe it'll go better for me this week. But I don't bet Phil Hawes. Don't like him. Never liked him. Don't talk shit about him, but generally don't have favorable things to say about him. And then last week for the first time, it's like, ah, why not take some Phil Hawes? And like classic Phil Hawes shows up. Like quite literally classic Phil Hawes. Man, I should have been on top of that one. I'm usually on top of that one. But for the first time in a long time, I had I had gone with the guy. Right? Derek Minner, I don't bet Derek Minner. He's very one-dimensional. One He's got that submission game, don't get me wrong, but... A lot of the time, he'll blow his arms out attempting to get it in the first round. He's got almost nothing to fall back on. Very little career KOs. Very little real striking. Wrestling lacks. And uh, again, you just go through his record, and it's littered with first round, first round, first round, first round. At the regional scene level, he'll either get that quick finish of you, or, I mean, he generally falls apart. Now, he cardio looked a little bit better against Charles Rosa, but he did what everybody does against Charles Rosa, got takedowns and sat in guard. So, I mean, it wasn't really all that taxing for him. He does have a questionable gas tank, and guys like that I just I can't really get behind. In a perfect world, Shaylin um, Jimbiaki is going to take him down. He's going to grind him. He's probably going to give him that old-fashioned, uh, that pace. And, and then and then Minner always becomes less dangerous every minute in the fight. He's a little less dangerous. He's a little less dangerous. He's a little less dangerous until eventually he gasses out and you're able to have your way. So I can see him losing for sure. Here's a greasy theory for, like, why Minner could be the apple pie shitter that's going to come in here. And Cash is a plus money underdog this weekend. Is that his style is ultra effective against guys that have grappling issues because he's got a nasty guillotine choke mm -hmm. on him, man. Most of those wins are by guillotine choke. If he finds your neck, it's going to be a problem. The other problem is if he finds your neck early. So if you can fight a good game plan in Matador and from the outside, you're going to have success. Other guys... Not so lucky. And of course, he's a seasoned veteran. I feel like he knows the position to get to. If he gets to it early, he's going to be able to snatch something up. And with James Krause in his corner, they're working on the cardio. They're working on the wrestling. They're trying to well-round him. But I think they're going to cater to what he does best. And so with uh, with, with Shai Lien against uh, Josh Kulubau in his UFC debut, uh, he was the one shooting the takedowns, but his wrestling didn't look very good. And his jiu-jitsu did not look very good. And he lost to Josh Kulabau, who otherwise stuffed the majority of his shots and then boxed him up standing. So not a good uh, look. But what you see is he comes from this Chinese wrestling background. You know, he's got he's got wushu. He's got throws from, from the clinch position. But it might not be applicable 
against a tough North American opponent, an American guy with that BJJ. Him versus Sean Soriano, he got taken down twice, Paul. He gave up two takedowns to Sean Soriano. This is problematic because Derek Minner's wrestling probably good enough to get you down if that's the case. And the difference is if Sean Soriano's on top, oh, who gives a shit? Just get back up. Mm-hmm. If Derek Minner's on top and you try to get back up, he's going to grab a hold of the neck. He's going to make it problematic for you. His last fighting is TJ Brown. You know, I don't know. I, th- I think you're seeing a better version of him. I think he is making some improvements. I think he's slowly getting there. Does give up one takedown to TJ Brown, who really didn't really force the issue for the most part. But it was a close competitive fight. And I just got this, like, nagging suspicion that Derek Minner goes out there, scores something early, wraps up this guy's neck, and puts him away. If Minner does not finish him in the first round, pull the shoot and live bet Jumbiaki, who, who, who might lose the first round. Yeah. Uh, but if he gets out of the first round, he's going to be live betting material for sure because you might get a better price on him and he'll probably break down Derek Minner. Minner most effective in that first, but he's not above having a good first round. And I think he might be able to bank on that, catch something in transition and hopefully submit him. So I will take three straight underdogs. Maybe just if two of them hit, it's going to be fine for me. But um, yeah, those are like the core of my underdogs on the card, I think. Yeah, for the purposes of the show, my pick will be Minner as well. I'm more drawn to the under two and a half rounds. Um, Fair. Because yeah. Minner, yeah, it's like with, with Shailen, it's like if you go back to 2019, it's like this guy's getting submitted by like absolute nobodies on the Chinese regional scene. So it's like, I, I don't know how far his game has really advanced and whether we really know what where he's at, to be perfectly honest. Like, I mean, I guess he got out of four submission attempts against TJ Brown last time out, but that's not exactly high-level competition. As you mentioned, got taken down two times by uh, Sean Soriano. Um, and, yeah, it's like maybe yeah, Minner has a, a tendency to gas when he, you know, goes goes for broke on that guillotine. If he doesn't get it, he usually gets pounded out or he gets submitted, um, almost like a fatigue submission. Um so I feel like this fight could very well end in submission. But like if Nuremberg, I saw somebody actually saying that like um, Marley had like plus two hundred on Nerd and Becky by or Nerd or either one of these fighters to get a submission in this fight. And I don't know if I really love that because it's like if you took Sean Soriano down four times, you spent that much time on the ground with Sean Soriano. And you didn't find a submission. Like, I don't know if you have much of a submission game whatsoever, right? Like, that's the fight. If you have any sort of grappling to snatch up that submission. I would rather go Derek Minner by submission plus 350, which I see out there. Don't mind. Uh, I don't love the money line. Maybe maybe he fights a little bit more safe in this spot. But, yeah, under two and a half rounds is, is what's going to be getting my money this week. And there's, like, a big disparity between fight doesn't go to decision and... Um, and the under two and a half, like Minner's either gonna get him out of there early or, or probably get finished late. If it gets, if it happens in the last two minutes and 50 or two minutes and 30 seconds of the fight, then I'll take my L, but, uh, gonna get some cash in on the under two and a half rounds. I think this fight, I choose violence in this spot. All right. We got Miranda Maverick taking on Shanna Young minus 650 for Maverick plus 475. For Young, this is a fight that we've already broken down on the program. These two girls have fought before, uh, have fought each other before, and Maverick finished her in the first round. I forget exactly what happened and how the fights got canceled before, but um, we were both thinking Maverick gets the job done. 
probably inside the distance. So has anything really changed for you here? Yeah, no, nothing's changed for me. Last time it was uh, Young that got hospitalized with a yes. botched weight cut, like the day of the weigh-in. So I don't know, I don't know what would cause you to suddenly be like, you know what, I'm in on Shayna Young. But yeah, you've already seen you've seen on on Invicta where Miranda Maverick relatively with ease, you know, is able to uh, slice right through her. The difference there is that Miranda Maverick's super young. They're both young-ish, but Miranda Maverick was really young at the time, and so. She was a legitimate prospect, and she's gone on to do quite well for herself, uh, kind of build herself up, um, pick up some solid victories in the UFC, I guess. But uh, beyond all that, strength and conditioning, always on point. She's a physical specimen. She's just got to figure out how to well-round her game and tailor-make her game to what she does best. I feel like she's lost in transition a little bit. Her last fight against Sabina Mazzo standing. Standing, she, she did not look good. She did not look good at all. But because Sina, Sabina Mazzo has no takedown defense, she was able to exploit that. Exploiting that is good, but Miranda Maverick at minus 610, just never someone I'm going to get super excited about. Um, but the flip side there is, yeah, they, they gave her Shana Young. Shana Young, of course, they've already fought once. She beat her since then. She's made the improvements. Young hasn't. Young kind of did her own thing in Tennessee for a while. Uh, I believe it was a single mother. But, you know, kind of trying to balance work and family and fighting and just not really giving herself the best chance to, to necessarily win. And then she moved out to Las Vegas, decided to put in a solid training camp, shows up in good shape, got a win over Gina Mazzani, which I don't think stands for much, but all the same, it is a UFC victory. Her confidence is up. She's going to show up in good shape for this one. But I just don't know where she wins it. If the fight stays standing, she's not Mazzo. Mazzo's at least a Rafael Cordero trained kickboxer out of King's MMA who's kind of known for that that long rangey striking. I don't think that that that, that Shanimal is Shana Young, right? Is she going to be able to bully Maverick? Because that's kind of how she fights. She's a bully pressure type fighter. But against Maverick, it's like the physicality is going to be matched. She's already defeated you once. She's got a far superior ground game. Like, where do you win this fight other than greasy decision? Which I suppose is possible, but I don't know. I, I think Maverick probable. gets it done. But yeah, right. And now, whereas with Miranda Maverick, I'd be inclined to saying that, yeah, I mean, she probably just grinds away at her and gets a decision. But because she's already defeated her once, she she choked her in the first round. Her last fight against Sabina Mazzo, again, you saw her slowly put that pressure and put that grind on Mazzo and uh, break her down. She's training with some of the best girls in, in the game, right? Really getting a feel for different uh, different athleticisms, different body types, different styles, but all really high caliber stuff. Maverick is the better fighter and probably does submit her. So if I'm trying to chase a better price on the money line, I'm leaning towards Maverick by submission. I think it probably happens sometime in the second, maybe early in the third, likely late in the second. But uh, yeah, nothing has changed for me in terms of I wouldn't I wouldn't switch my pick the other way on a based on a botch weight cut for Shane Young. Yep, totally makes sense to me. I'm just loading up one of my sports books that's open up 365 days of the year because I want to get we'll remain fight nervous. doesn't go to decision is minus 110 there. It's just like they've already fought. And she finished her in the first round. It's just like I'll take my chances minus 650 favorite. Get that down to minus 110. No, fight doesn't go to decision. This is exhilarating stuff, Cody. Oh man, what Stephanie Egger got her sending to the me to traitor? Like... Let this go through. All right, uh, let's move on to the next fight. We got uh, Mario Bautista taking on Benite, Benito Lopez minus two ninety. Bautista plus two fifty. Lopez, who you got here, buddy? Yeah, well, this one's obviously really difficult because I think Mario Batista beats him for sure. But like, oh, what cowards. has Benito? Well, what what has Benito? No, not you, not you. To? I was talking well, to they're the not, book. They're not taking your yeah, action. They took a little bit more action, but not all of the action. Cowards. 
<laughs> I'll, I'll have to put the money in um, somewhere else as well um, to get a full play out of it. Sorry to interrupt. No, it's all good. Benito Lopez, uh, he's only 28 years old. That's the kind of thing that worries me. Like He's been at it for a long time, Team Alpha Male guy out of Sacramento, California. Never looked good, never looked great, but but someone that has the fundamentals, right? I mean, he's definitely a fighter's fighter, right? He doesn't mind stepping, engaging, throws a, a decent leg kicks, right? Decent right hand. Um, leaves something to be left with imagination. I don't think he's some great athlete. I don't think he's some great power puncher. I don't think he's some great wrestler. I don't think he's some great grappler. He's 100% a generalist. But again, he's young and he's training out of a good room. Why couldn't he get a little bit better? His fights are generally close. Beats uh, Steve Peterson on a split decision on Contender Series. Alba Morales in the UFC. His fight with Manny Bermudez. He got caught by Manny, who's very much a one-trick pony, but has that ability to catch guys. And then he has that fight with Vince Morales. The problem is these these three UFC fights in the Contender Series fight now date back to 2017. It's like a five-year stretch. Just does not compete all that active he's had injuries he's had he's had to take time off he's had to rebound from adversity and I, again i didn't know know how much better he realistically is getting when he lost to manny he fought sorry going into the manny fight it was his first fight in like a year and a half looks awful gets caught comes back loses to vince morales in a wild fight there's a strong argument he won the fight it didn't look terrible it's just it's kind of a sloppy fight that leaves a lot to the imagination. And then that's in 2019. So now he's coming off a three and a half year long layoff from then. Was coming off a long layoff prior. He's had two fights in the UFC since 2019. Ah, man, I don't know. Or sorry, since 2017, he's had two fights in the UFC. It's like, could he have gotten better? Yeah, I'm sure he could have gotten better. But, like, what, what does he do particularly well? Is it his wrestling? Like, no. I'm going to have to hard, take a hard pass on that. Is it just striking? Can the guy go out there and strike? It's like, probably going to have to hard, take a hard pass on that, too. Uh, the volume seems to be relatively low. The wrestling, not all that refined. He coming off a long layoff. And the one other time that you saw him come off a long layoff, he didn't look good. So I just feel like it's a lot of adversity to be to be kind of overcome. And Mario Batista is a stud, man. This is a guy that I've been high up on for a long time, coming out of Arizona. Guy can wrestle. Guy can strike. He's got more power than Lopez. He's more dynamic than Lopez. Better footwork, quicker hand combinations. The difference is he's not as gritty. When the fights kind of typically get like real dirty and it starts to become that brawl, that's when he kind of falls apart. His fight with Trevin Jones, he won the first round. Was looking pretty good doing it, and then Jones just completely cold cocks him in the second, catches him getting getting uh, making mistakes. Right again, uh, his fight with Jay Perrin. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, he, he looked okay in the clinch, I suppose. He got his four takedowns in that spot, but but didn't look necessarily all that comfortable against Jay Perrin, who would be considered low level by a lot of guys' standards. And then his last fight with Brian Kelleher, he showed up the way like he is in my head. Like the guy's super talented and he just ran right through Brian Kelleher. So if he shows up that version of himself, he beats Benito Lopez all day, stays to the outside if he wants. He's going to be able to beat him with the punch. He's going to have the leg kicks. He's going to have the right hand. Um, if he wants to mix in the wrestling, I do think Mario Batista's got slightly better wrestling. Um, should be able to take down Benito Lopez. But beyond that, it's just a volume thing. He's going to be able to beat him with the punch and have more punches. My worst case scenario, though, is Benito Lopez kind of is a junkyard dog, man. He will make it greasy. And he will step into the pocket. And Batista probably does have a first round and wins the first round. But if for whatever reason, Benito's starting to get comfortable in that second and third, he, he's not above working his way back into it and hitting as a plus money guy. So minus 200 uh, Mario Batista, minus 225 Mario Batista, like where the line seems to be headed and, and currently at. 
a little bit big because it just feels like a little trappy being that the other guy's been off for three and a half years. Last time you saw him, he was like 24 years old. Now he's 28 years old. Could be a big difference. Could be a big difference. But I can't just go purely based on narrative. I got to go based on what I see. And if you had problems with Vince Morales moving to the outside and beating you to the punch, then you're going to have all types of problems with Mario Batista. So, again, if you watch the Benito Lopez fight back his last time against Morales, there's a strong argument he should have won it. He just didn't. If he comes back as a better version, you know, who knows? Maybe that's my apple pie share this week. For that reason, I'm going to keep Mario Batista a little bit lower than maybe those top two tickets. But, yeah, I got to use him at some point, right? And he's a talented guy that I generally get behind. Yeah, I've I've been impressed with most of his performances outside of the Trevin Jones fight. Like, I mean, throw out the Corey Sandhagen fight completely. Like, he's fighting one you of the You got a takedown. That was pretty good. I guess yeah, you're fighting one of the He looked good kind of a minute in. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're fighting one of, like, the top five guys in the world. So, whatever. And, yeah, all of his other fights. Like, what I really didn't know, what I was really impressed by was, like, last time I was against Kelleher, just being able to snatch up that submission. I didn't know that his grappling was on that level. Um, he's a young kid. He's getting better. Um, I have no idea what to expect from Benito Lopez, to be perfectly honest. Wasn't all that impressed by much that he had done. There could be a path to, like, an easy submission here for or for Mario Bautista. Um what is that, to be perfectly honest? I wonder, maybe because he came off of a submission last time out, they're not giving you anything too great. Uh, I see some plus 600s out there. We'll see how that goes as the week goes along. Plus 600 actually looks like a decent little number if you want to go down that route. But like that's usually not his path to victory in a lot of fights. We just kind of saw like new wrinkles of his game being added in against Brian Kelleher. So, um, yeah, Batista for me, I have no idea what to expect from Benito Lopez. He's coming off of what, like a three-year layoff? Like, yeah. what's this guy been? I, I think he had a kid, but, like, I don't know what else he's been up to. We'll see at weigh-ins. Maybe, maybe he'll look good. Maybe he'll look the best he's ever looked on the scales, but uh, I'll be picking Mario Batista for the purposes of this show. Moving on down, we've got Paulina. Pollyanna Vienna taking on Jin Yu Frey. Minus 140 Vienna, plus 120 for Frey. Uh, Vienna is one of the other fighters that has had problems getting out of Brazil this week. Um, I watched the Kay Hansen fight versus Jin Ryu Frey, and I say, why can't the armbar queen, Pollyanna Vienna, do the exact same thing here? Um, make it gritty, make it ugly, eventually find a way to get it to the mat and and find a submission. Jin Yu Frey is a little bit long in the tooth at this stage in her career. Obviously, it all really comes down to, like, when does Vienna get into town? I was looking at her Instagram, but I got a little bit distracted. I didn't really see, like, where she was, um, you know, whether she's still in Brazil uh, or anything like that. But, uh, all, uh, you know, in all seriousness, I think that submission is very much on the table for her uh, in this spot. Like, if it's if it's a tepid striking affair, like, that's totally in the cards as well. But, like, this is a girl that she knows what she's good at, and she, she attacks it. So, Vienna, money line, don't mind it. But I'd prefer if I was going to attack this fight, just go Vienna by sub and, and be done with it, move on. It's like plus 350s are out there right now. It's like that's what she attacks when she, you know, gets these victories. So, Vienna for me. How about you? 
I got to go the other way, actually. And it's not like it really matters. But, yeah, if I'm going to get slight underdog money, I'm going to take a dogger pass in this one and go with Jinyu Frey. Um, with Jinyu Frey, yeah, I, I totally understand. She got flying armbar by Kay Hansen and you know, this and that. But, first of all, Jinyu Frey, I believe, is BJJ Black Belt. Uh, her husband, Douglas Frey, BJJ Black Belt. And I feel like, yeah, has she been submitted in the past? Sure, sure, you know, no doubt. But she hasn't been submitted lately. It's been almost three years since that Kay Hansen fight. And since then, she's taken on a couple decent grapplers. Uh, Ashley Yotter again was able to survive all the positions against her, and then her last time out against Vanessa Demopoulos. Vanessa Demopoulos is like a pretty legit BJJ black belt, and she did get taken down in that fight, but was in some bad spots, but was able to uh, keep with it. So Pollyanna Vienna literally has the one move, which is an arm bar from guard. Mm -hmm. And as long as Jin Frey minds her P's and Q's, I just think she's better standing. She's better standing. She's got better footwork. She's uh, lackadaisical in the terms of she'll generally just kind of throw one at a time. Maybe it's just a jab. Maybe it's just a right hand. The volume's very low, but I feel like she's corrected that. First fight against Kay Hansen, she lands 26. Very abysmal. And she does that pretty much throughout her regional show career, too. She's low volume, so there's nothing new there. Her versus Lo Maluk Bume, 26, abysmal. Her versus Gloria Padaula, 24, abysmal. But again, since then, against Ashley Yodder, she landed 88 significant strikes and 62 against Vanessa Demopoulos. She is throwing a lot more. She's up that work rate. She's just got to make sure she's not giving up the takedowns. And Paulana Vienna, I just don't really think she's all that good. I mean, she's had her whole career pretty much in the UFC of just faltering, uh, dating back to... Her fight with J.J. Aldrich, she's got a huge perceived grappling advantage, and then J.J. Aldrich out grappling. So I think that was your first red flag. Then her versus Hannah Cyphers. Uh, again, she's much better than Hannah Cyphers, and she's a big money line favorite, and she gets outworked and beat up and, and dropped by, Han by Hannah Cyphers. Red flag number two. Her versus Veronica Macedo. Veronica Macedo is undersized, has no grappling, right? And uh, and she was on one that armbarred her from guard. It's roles reversed. That's the low level that she operates at. So, yeah, she goes out, she submits Emily Whitmire, which the kids on the street call her Emily Shitmire That's for true. a reason. That reason, things like the Paulana Viana fight. And then against Mallory Martin, Mallory Martin got released from the UFC after and then lost a fight on the regional show in her last uh, outing as well. Like, maybe just not to that level. So, because she snatched up a quick little armbar from guard against them. Yeah, yeah, sure. But. In the Tabitha Ricci fight, Ricci just ended up on top of her and sat in her guard the entire time. Now, Ricci could grapple, don't get me wrong, but literally just sat in her guard for the entire time. Vanna didn't really have any answers. Yeah, but, uh, she doesn't have that striking standing. She Ricci. doesn't really have huge game off of her back. And then last but not least, if you go to the MMA decisions, if you watch back the fight, pretty much everybody had Vanessa Demopoulos losing the fight, right? Everyone scored the first two rounds for Jin Yu Frey third round for Vanessa Demopoulos it ends up being a squeaker of a split decision. If that would have been correctly scored for Jin Yu Frey, she's in a three-fight winning streak right now. She knows how to get wins. She knows how to do the bare minimum, but outwork her opponent. And with Vienna, she's going to have low volume standing, and she's not going to snatch up some submission from off of her back. I feel like, listen, I'm just making a case for the underdog. And at plus 120 on the Jin Yu Frey underdog side of things, I think you could do worse. So that'll, uh, that'll be another under underdog selection I'm looking at this week. I wish I could actually go to the under two and a half rounds in that fight, but like Jin Yu Frey can't finish a sandwich, so you can't really go. Yeah, not known for like if there's a finish <laughs> happening, it's happening on the Vienna side. So Vienna by sub is yeah, that's where I'm sticking to it. But we'll yeah, I mean I haven't bet it yet. We'll uh, we'll see where the week takes us. But like I don't know Jin. You talked about those stats and then took everything completely out of co on out of context, Cody. Like she went 
strike for strike with Vanessa Demopoulos. Demopoulos doesn't have any sort of striking ability. She got a hell of a chin on her, though, man. She's ultra-aggressive, always in the pocket, always coming forward. Pollyanna Vienna's not that. Yeah, I know. She'll throw but a you... leg kick from the outside. She'll throw one zinger of a shot, and the second it gets returned, she's like, oh, circle, 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 try to clinch. You sold, you sold those numbers like they were like... She was taking on like great opponents or something. Ashley Yoder like outstruck her ninety one to eighty eight. It's like these aren't not these are very like bottom of the barrel performances that she's putting in. And she's not what, the favorite here, Paul. She's, she's younger. She's, she's a month younger. She's I'm old as shit. I'm washed at this point. And like she's a month younger than me. She was a former collegiate in soccer this division. player, Paul. She takes care of herself. Of course. Like, She's an know, athlete. We can't really compare these types of things. But, like, in this division, 37 years old, it's just like, I don't know, man. I think she's washed. I think that little spurt of volume is not – it would not get me to put my hard-earned money on Jin Yu Frey. Um, I, would, I would attack – Vienna, Vienna by sub. That's should we do a shoey on this? It feels like we should probably do a shoey. I mean, this is low level shoey shit, man. It's not as if I came in here uh, saying I got a point to prove. But if you're calling me out on it, then I will accept kind sir. Oh, you accept it? Yeah, I gave you a favorite or I gave you the underdog the last time we shoey bet, so I'll Thank give you a chance to get it back and I'll uh, I'll take the slight dog status on all right, War Vienna. All right, we move on. We've got Johnny Munoz Jr. taking on Ludwig Cholinian. Minus 235, Munoz Jr. plus 200, Cholinian. Who you got here, buddy? Uh, yeah, I mean, this is just another one of those spots where the old guys fights on their deal. And it's just like, I think the, uh, the, uh, the casual fan would probably... Not be faulted for forgetting who either guy was, but I got to go Johnny Munoz to get the job done. I feel like he's shown a little bit better improvements, and you just haven't really gotten a chance to see him at his best. So in his debut against Nate Maness, I'm pretty sure he took the fight on short notice. He did get the two takedowns on 16 attempts. He did outstrike him 49 to 21. Um, got those two takedowns, got a submission attempt. On most scorecards, won the fight, other than two of the three scorecards that actually matter, which are the judges' scorecards. And... Uh, Actually, no, it wasn't even a split. He lost a unanimous decision. I, I thought he won the fight. I thought he showed some promise. He tired out, but he was on short notice. Maybe there's something there. His next fight against Jamie Simmons, it's a low-level opponent, right? So, of course, he has to go out there and look good. And why he looked pretty good? He got the takedowns. No ground and pound, right? More of just like a, a traditional grappler. Going to get those positions, try to establish control beyond anything. But eventually does find that that second round where he could choke over Jamie Simmons. I just don't know how much stock he could put into that victory. So, to me... Decent enough debut. Came on the controversial losing end of decision. Much better second performance. Beat the guy clean, and that's what you're supposed to do against the Jamie Simmons level of guys. And then against him versus Tony Gravely, this is a step up. I took Gravely, but I didn't think it was going to go down like that. He got cold cocked right away. And Gravely is extremely explosive. Generally, when he does knock out guys, it does tend to come early. Uh, even in the Nate Maness fight, Maness ended up beating him, but completely destroyed him and broke his jaw in the first round. Mm-hmm. Tony Gravely has a lot of explosive power. So I think he was able to go out there and catch Johnny Munoz. And so now on paper, you've got a bad looking record. It's one and two in the UFC. You haven't shown much. You haven't fought a whole lot. People don't recognize you. It's easy to just kind of fall out of, uh, out of people's minds. But I think that there's something there. I think his BJJ is, is far superior to Ludovic Shalinian's. I think his wrestling is better than Shalinian's. He cannot strike. That's a fact. But now they can learn of Shalinian, right? And when you look at Shalinian versus Jack Shore, I mean, he just, he, he, it's much of the same. He gets taken down and provides 
nothing off of his bag. Scrapping's not quite at that level. I would think that Johnny Munoz is able to either, if the fight ends up on the ground, he's going to have the advantage. I don't know if he's going to have to hit a sweep if he ends up off his back, but I think his wrestling's probably good enough he ends up in an advantageous position. At range, I feel like he's going to have the volume. I mean, here's a guy that doubled up Nate Maness on the striking count. Unfortunately, and, and that's impressive enough in its own, right? There's something there, maybe, but uh, he's not literally, he's not the most impressive guy going. And again, one and two in the UFC, like, is he someone that you're going to get excited to, to go put your hard-earned money on? Maybe not. I just think he wins this fight. Flip side to Ludovic Shalinian, you saw him on the Ultimate Fighter. He hasn't fought in, I believe, 14 months. And even prior to that, he's not a guy that has, like, a really trepid work pace uh doesn't doesn't stay very active doesn't go out there and you know show like any remarkable improvements fight to fight his last fight with jack shore shows you absolutely nothing landing 19 significant strikes mostly off of his back getting beat up over the course of 15 minutes but to me i don't see any any um i don't see any advantage for him in a lot of these situations standing i think he just gets outworked and he doesn't connect on anything he doesn't throw any dynamic strikes he doesn't throw in combinations he doesn't throw in volume so how does he cut him off? How does he earn his respect? I don't think he's going to, right? How does he get this fight to the ground? I don't know that he wants to get this fight to the ground. I feel like Munoz is the better grappler. So unless his plan is to just smother him up against the cage or spend most of the fight inside the clinch and bully him around with short clinch shots, uh, I, I, I don't know where his, where, where his clear-cut path of victory is. So I'm going to have to lean towards Munoz Jr., but again, it's not something I'm, I'm, I'm overly excited about. I hate the price, to be perfectly honest. I don't know if I'm going to get to Ludwig as a underdog from a betting perspective. I mean, we, there's already three that we're interested in. There's another one, uh, maybe another two down the line that I'm interested in, but like, I don't, I don't know, man. Johnny Munoz Jr. is only winning the UFC against Jamie Simmons was like absolute layup. Took him until the second round to get him out of there. <laughs> Ludwig. Yeah. I mean, he went in with, there with Jack Shore. who's like one of the best British wrestlers, um, maybe ever. Uh, and we've only taken down twice. He's massive, Matt. Like he's a big, big frame in there. Um, I did add taken down twice because he couldn't get back up. Yeah. Uh, I did add Munoz Jr. under or less than 2.5 takedowns to my prize picks card this week. Uh, I mean, if Shore was only able to do it twice, I'll take my chances that Munoz can't get to three. But, yeah, I'll, I, I'm going to watch weigh-ins for this one. Maybe I'll end up on Ludwig. But, yeah, it's another dogger pass spot for me. I mean, there's a lot of dogger pass spots here. It's just like we're talking about, like, lower level of competition. It's just like, and then you put a big chalk price that this person's supposed to win 70% of the time next to it. It's just like you get cold feet. So that's why we're picking so many dogs. I think that's why I am, at least this week. Um, so, yeah, Shalinian for me. Uh, we move on. We've got Jake Hadley taking on Carlos Candelario, minus 250 Hadley, plus 210 Candelario. I lost on Candelario against Tetsuru Tyra last time out. Why? I, why did I bet him? Well, he's a black belt in BJJ. I, I don't think it was a horrible account for himself against a half-decent grappling prospect in, uh, in Tyra. Uh, he was definitely, it was like after two rounds in the live betting market. I mean, Tyra was up two rounds. He was like, it was like minus a thousand. So like Tyra probably covered his price in that spot, but like Hadley kind of got exposed, frankly. Um, he was supposed to be some sort of like whiz grappler or whatever. And then Nascimento, super, super solid black belt and BJJ was able to, uh, you know, 
negate all of his advantages that we saw on Contender Series. And even on the Contender Series fight for him, I mean, he was taken down twice against Mitch Raposo. He ended up getting the submission, rear naked choke in round two. Um, but I think, you know, the, the, the abilities that he showed on the regional scene, they're not really transferring to this level. I'm willing to go back to the well on Carlos Candelario because I think in striking range, I think that, Candelario probably has an advantage here. If he does get taken down, he has proven to me against Tyra. It's like, well, at least, you know, he can hang out. Um, you know, he lost most minutes of that fight. Don't get me wrong. But it's like, you know, in those positions, at least he was able to get out of uh, of danger of, of being submitted by, by Tyra. So, uh, yeah, Candelario. The dogs are barking this week, Cody. Or at least I hope they do. Uh, Candelario for me. What about you? Yeah, man. I, I again, I really, I can't disagree. I think it's another dog shot. This is another one of those where I'm still kind of on the fence. I don't really know which side I'm going to lean, but I completely understand that dog money on a uh, Candelario. Man, it looks pretty good to me. Um, again, when you look at Carlos Candelario, he thrives in a lot of these type of fights, man. I mean, he's always in these kind of the, these these type spots. His fight on um, Dana White's contender series the first time around, the first time around against Ronald Candido. Ronald Candido, high level BJJ black belt, like someone that competed at a pretty high level, very solid, good technique. He got taken down. Sorry, I was about to sneeze. He got taken down uh, eight times by Carlos Candelario and got put in a uh, recorded five submission attempts and fights through everything. His counter defensive rest or defensive grappling is very solid. He ends up winning that Candido fight on the basis of surviving all the positions, getting up, making him work, winning the fight. I thought he should have got a contract. Most people thought he should have got a contract. Dana didn't give him a contract. Ends up bringing him back against Victor Altamarino in that fight. He got five takedowns. He won the first two rounds. He survived the third after winning the first two, uh, loses the fight, but Dana's kind of like, ah, oh, man, maybe I should have signed him the first time. Maybe he should have won that fight against Victor Altamirano. Let's just give him a shot in the UFC and they give him Tatsu Tyra. Tyra, most of the guys he's fought, he takes your back right away. He finishes you in the first round. Even after his next opponent against uh, CJ Vergara, his last fight after um, this, holy shit, dude, this guy can grapple, man. He gets on your back almost instantaneously. He can fight from any position. He can attack the arm, attack the neck. The kid's very versatile. You did see Carlos Candelario get more or less, you know, um, easily controlled and handled in that fight, but he survives everything. He is a BJJ black belt. Defensively, he's fine. Stand up, he's got better volume. And beyond all that, I think it's his own offensive wrestling. Like, if you look at him versus uh, Victor Altamirano, he does get those five takedowns. Him versus Tatsu Terra, he did score two takedowns, just wasn't able to get anything going with those takedowns. Mm -hmm. Jake Hadley. Jake Hadley's got shit off his back, dog. That Mitch Raposo fight in his debut in the Contender Series, he gets taken down in that fight, and early does not look good. Loses the first round to Mitch Raposo, and then is able to fall on top of Mitch in the second. I'll admit, Mitch starts to tire. Uh, Hadley shows that he's got that will. He's got that desire. He grinds on him. He gets the submission victory. If you remember, he comes in at 127 pounds. The matchmakers had told Dana, screw this kid. He's a mouthpiece who missed weight, who talked all this shit, who just lost the first round, and now he's thinks he's God. But Dana likes the kid. He's got that spunk. McGregor had it. Patty Holohan had it. Um, not Patty Holohan, sorry. Uh, Patty the Batty Pimblet had it. Patty Holohan was just very weird. He had the tea drinking gimmick. It was strange. Uh, but a character in his own right. You know, he sees that brashness in you. He sees that that markability. And beyond all that, the thing that Dana loves the most, <laughs> undefeated record. 
So yeah, he signs the kid. He brings the kid in. They do him no favors by giving him Alan Nasimeno, who's a complete stud, who gave Tagir Ulimbekov everything he could handle and is a, uh, is a grappling machine. And so I had that. If you go back and you check that episode of, of Dogger Pass, I went with Nasimeno, dog money, on the basis of Hadley seems a little bit overrated. His grappling's not all that good. His volume's not all that good. He had missed weight in the contender series, which is a big no-no because everybody knows you don't get the contract if you miss weight other than this one except. Uh, exception i suppose it's kind of like writings on the wall there and so in the nasimeno fight he gives up two takedowns and he proves he don't get shit off his back he's got no game off his back and so somebody's going to now someone's going to take advantage of him get him on top of him out grind him is Can- carlos candelario that guy the only reason i haven't straight up punched in that underdog and say yo paul we're we're wrapping up another one is like physically it seems like hadley's a lot stronger than him and if he's That's not fair. able to get the fight to the ground i i don't know against tatsuya tyra he kind of got tossed around. He's not the strongest guy going. I feel like Hadley could just outmaneuver him, outstrength him, grind him, beat him in those positions, end up on top of him. It could be a Hadley win for sure. But I wouldn't out. I wouldn't straight up rule out a Candelario victory if he can get his own offensive wrestling going early, ground this kid, neutralize him. When the fight stays standing, you know you're gonna have to use your volume. You're gonna have to outwork him. Show up in shape. Fight like you absolutely want it. But he's a live underdog. He is. I just don't know if I'm going to go ahead and, and, and lock it in for sure. That's fair enough. And finally, we've got Tamiris Vidal taking on Ramona Pasquale. Minus 140 for Vidal, plus 120 for Pasquale. This is, as they say, Cody, the fight that puts the pass in fight pass. Uh, I've seen a lot of people taking Pasquale, who looks better. Um, I was on her Instagram looking at... Uh, you know, have her weight cut because she's been fighting at 145 pounds down to 135. How's she looking? She definitely looks like a lot more fit. Like losing those 10 pounds is going to be good for her, you know, strength at this weight. Um, she has half, half decent wrestling. And like I do, I did watch the Vidal versus uh, AFP, uh, Aileen Fiona Perez fight. I watched oh, that back man. and like that was a horrible performance. So it's like I don't fault people for taking a shot who uh, on Pasquale who has looked legitimately terrible um, in the UFC so far. But it's like she's fighting, you know, half decent competition up here. Josie Ann Nunez is a, a damn savage. So like I eh, kind of throw that one out. She was she was outgunned and, you know, Jocelyn Edwards fight wasn't anything special by any means but she's shown that she can at least like hang in there i mean and we've talked about multiple times with her it's like that fight on invicta that she had with shamir pashua it's like that shouldn't have been sanctioned literally anywhere like i don't know where they found pashua i have to bring it up every single time it is so cringeworthy you feel bad for this woman you're like why are you a professional fighter why are you taking punches in the head it's like this does not look like it's for you um no offense if shamir's out there watching but it's like this you're gonna get hurt um if you're taking that type of beating uh, against the likes of ramona pasquale um i think they want her to be a star um, she has a decent following. She's from Hong Kong. Um, plus 120. I'm not going to bet it. As I said, it's the fight that puts the pass in fight pass. But uh, for the purposes of the show, I'm going to pick her because Vidal really hadn't shown me all that much from what I saw against uh, AFP. So 
another dog um, that I, I unless something crazy happens, there's no way I'm jumping on this line. Maybe if I get like if it starts going back the other way, which I don't think. I think it's gonna go off at like a pick'em. So the value side right now is the uh, is the plus one twenty on Pasquale. So Pasquale for me. What about you? Dude, 100% Ramona Pasquale. I take great pride by a lot of the time when a fighter signs to the UFC, I know who they are, or at least I've heard of them. Tamir Zvidal, I didn't know who that, Well, I knew she was only strictly for come Eileen Perez. Mm -hmm. I didn't know who the hell Eileen Perez was. So I was like, okay, we're going to tape study Eileen Perez. She's taking on Stephanie Edgar. Uh, let's see what she's got. And of course, the Tamir Zvidal is fight. That's, that's her loss. And, you know, it says a disqualification by a legal knee. So... Let's look into this one. So, of course, the great engine, uh, the great uh, the, the internet, great search tool, right? I mean, it's genius. Find the fight right away. P Paul, Paul, to say it's in a gym would be a slap to the gym owner's face. <laughs> it is in like the ghetto, bro. This is like a small little uh, combat sports. It's gym. somebody's it's garage right that's been converted into, into a cage. I got it. I got it brought up right here. Garage would be an accurate assessment. It's right by the windows, right? So, yeah. like, there's, there's like, three people there standing there. The judge looks like he's falling asleep, right? Which I wouldn't fault him. It's not exactly the greatest fight going. No. There's no, like, uh, in Ontario, we need a catwalk, right? Like, you need, like, an undercarriage. You need a setup. You need, like, to get a commission-approved cage. Like, none of – I'm not saying the cage walls look terrible. The cage floor – is like you go to Walmart and buy some fitness mats for your own little home studio gym downstairs. That that's that's what you bought. If you were to get slammed on this thing, your clavicle would shatter. I'm sure this is a liability waiting to happen. I was amazed that this was a professional fight, and Eileen Perez absolutely dominates her for the first two rounds. It's a terrible fight. It's extremely sloppy. Both girls are kind of falling over the place. They give up multiple bad positions, and then she gets herself disqualified in a fight that she's otherwise going to win. So um, Eileen Perez signed to the UFC, and I was shocked that it was like, wow, they're taking anybody these days. I should load up on some Stephanie Egger. Not only that, Egger by submission was a big plus money prop, considering that's how Egger wins fights. It was like the people's pick that week, and of course, Stephanie Egger goes and he beats her. Yeah. I didn't think... Eileen Perez should have got there. I really didn't think Tamiris Vidal should have got there. She was she was the fighter that should have lost that fight. She was in the same position, and she has won one fight since on a sloppy-ass heel hook. Now, when it shows, oh, it's a 5-1 and one opponent, oh, she's fought a 5-0 and oh opponent, it's all deceiving because you're fighting at the lowest level imaginable. If you beat someone that was 10-0, and oh, and that person had beaten 10 people that were 0-10, oh would, would that make them credible? No, of course not. So I just don't really think she's at that level. And to now jump... It's just like it just seems like a, a far a far cry to go from that to now competing at the world's highest level. And similar to you could get a good Egger plus money by submission in that spot because they're just like the, you knew the talent jump was going to be big. I think you're getting that here now. Ramona Pasquale doesn't look like you know a formidable opponent. She's 0 2 in the UFC and she's 34 years old. And for a 34 year old, she really doesn't have a ton of experience. Her Muay Thai background is amateur Muay Thai background, and she spent time in Hong Kong and Thailand and this and that and the other. But she's in Las Vegas as a syndicate currently, making some type of improvement overall to her game. You mentioned the Josiah Nunes fight. Josiah Nunes, not terrible. Uh, Ramona Pasquale did get three takedowns in that spot, not able to do much with it, loses a decision, but still showed something. She got dropped twice by Josiah Nunes. She took some visible damage by Josiah Nunes, but never did quit on herself. 
And so that's yeah, important tough. to me because, again, yeah, because I don't want someone that's just going to roll over and be like, no, nah, this is not for me. If you're going to lose, you're going to lose. That's fine. But you got to go for it, honey. She went for it. Just didn't come up on the other end. Her versus Jocelyn Edwards. Edwards, again, is very tough and physical and has a ton of volume. And Ramona Pasquale in the first round didn't look totally out of place. Ramona Pasquale in the second round dropped her with the knee to the body. Had Jocelyn, had, had her done, man. Like, not done, but turned the tide of the fight against, against Edwards. It, well, it wasn't considered a knockdown because I don't think she ever went down, but she got curled to the body. She yelped out in pain. She, like, cowered it away. Ramona Pasquale bum-rushed her with a series of strikes. I think it was enough to get the round, but outside of a few good moments of landing a few good shots, she straight up got it worked, man. And now, now that's not necessarily anything negative against her. It's just Jocelyn Edwards showed up with a lunch pail, bro. She landed 164 significant strikes. Mm-hmm. Um, just never took her foot off the gas pedal. So Ramona Pasquale has struggled in, in those spots against someone who's, you know, a higher level and a higher volume uh, fighter, but you're seeing at least some glimpses to an overall game and some improvements to her game. Now, again, 34 years old, don't think that she's ever going to really jump over the hump, but those both of those fights took place at 145 pounds. Her at 135, maybe she's going to be a little more physical. She should be able to get takedowns over Tamiris Vidal. And then in terms of the fight stays standing, she's got much better striking, much better Muay Thai. She's much better in the clinch. She's much better all around, I would say. And so... Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I most definitely am going to go Ramona Pasquale on the spot, and I'm surprised to see that she was the underdog. Yeah, I mean, she actually opened up at like plus two hundred. Obviously, that line was only available for like ten minutes or twenty minutes or whatever. People jumped on people. Bucks. Well, I, uh, the book that does that, I think you can usually get like five hundred bucks on those openers. One seventeen fifty seems to be like the soft opener limit. Well, like maybe your maybe the book well, that you the books place I at. use. Yeah, the, I don't know why. It's a lot so of times, it's like two fifty at the at the book that actually opens up all of the lines. But yeah, like okay. if you go on Ramona Pasquale's like Instagram right now, it's like she has definition. Like yeah, that's what we didn't see at one forty five in the previous fights. Like she has definition in her arms. Like she's looking in really good shape. She's in. She's on the list of consider uh, consider uh, consideration this week for me. Uh, the bets that I have made: I got Maverick and Young. Fight doesn't go to decision minus one ten. Um, I've been poking away and adding whatever I could at some other little books to uh, to get that up to a full bet. I believe I got there um, over the course of this program. Multitasking, Cody. Uh, Carlos Cand- Candelario money line plus two twenty five. I'm taking the shot there. Vienna by submission is in consideration. Haven't bet it. Uh, the rest of these ones are in consideration. Minner by submission. Madsen money line. Maness money line. Pasquale money line. And then the Rodriguez Lamash under. Now, those are all under consideration. We'll see where I get at Paul Shag on Twitter. Uh, as always, I will post my bets uh, at some point on Saturday morning slash early afternoon. Um, and then on prize picks. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I forgot to mention the last fight. Tamiris Vidal, less than 1.5 takedowns. Like, Pasquale is actually a pretty good grappler. That's where she's had success in all of her other UFC fights. What I do know about Vidal is, like, she was getting absolutely mollywhopped by AFP in that fight, getting taken down at will, and really didn't seem to have much. So it's like 1.5 takedowns really seems like a big bar for her to cross in this spot. Like... I think Pasquale probably has the wrestling advantage. So she's on the card. So, yeah, 
Less than 1.5 takedowns for Vidal. Less than 2.5 takedowns for Johnny Munoz Jr. More than 45.5 significant strikes for Chase Sherman. And less than 120.5 significant strikes for Marina Rodriguez. And that's because I like the under. But like that's probably my least favorite of those four plays on prize picks. Cody, hit him with the PRP. Yeah, the biggest problem this week is going to be like, who are the two that you go with at the top? Miranda Maverick, I think you go with her at the top, but mm-hmm. she's not adding any value to anything. No. So like, who, who's who's your next most uh, most uh, favorable fighter? If you're like, okay, well, let's go with the strategy of put somebody in the main event on. It's like, okay, well, now your ticket of Marina Rodriguez and uh, Miranda Maverick doesn't pay anything because they're both considerable favorites. And bro, that, that's a greasy top ticket, man. Who do you like below? And we that? like lots That's of underdogs problem. all the way through. Like, I mean, tons of underdogs. Doesn't seem like a ball is like my sixth most confident pick, and she's an underdog. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't Probably. seem like a very, uh, you know, parlay-driven card, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I almost feel like just betting them individually, and if we hit a few of these underdogs, it's going to be good. And the favorites, meanwhile, a lot of them are kind of near even money. So let's jump into it. We're going to go with Marina Rodriguez. We're going to take with Daniel Rodriguez, even money. We're going to take Chase Sherman, pretty much even money. Nate Maness is going to be dog number one. Mark Madsen for right now, that's going to be dog number two. Derek Minner, dog number three. Random Maverick, favorite. Mario Batista, we're going to go Jinyu Frey, dog number four. Johnny Munoz Jr. Uh, Carlos Candelario, Ronan Pasquale. So we got, is it, it was six? Are we going six out of 12 fights? Squall, Candelario, Jinyu Frey. Minner, Madsen, Maness. I got six. You thought you might go Shalinian, so you might have seven. Yeah, I, I don't know six. if I'm going to bet. I'm going to wait till Wayans to, to really hone in on that. I mean, I picked of, him on the program. A whole lot of dogs. A whole yeah. lot of dogs. But like, it, it, I could see myself switching to Hadley. I could see myself switching to uh, Nurmbiaki, especially after the first round. Pull the shoot on that one, but mm-hmm. yeah, dogs are going to be barking on this card for sure. I mean, it's a it's a limited level show. Even even with twelve fights, if you had six underdogs, you still got Chase Sherman, you still got Daniel Rodriguez. Even money picks, it's like you're gonna the gods are gonna have to be in your favor and give you those bounces. But of course, anything's possible. It's definitely possible. What also is possible is you had a close competitive first round that you probably lost, but you're definitely in, and we've got four more rounds to work with. And we could definitely pull this thing off. And then you get up off the ground and you throw a half-hearted fly knee at the guy and blow your own knee out and then yeah. lose to Arnold Allen. So that's the game. That's the game. What can we do about it? Nothing. Just There's trying to lot. ourselves off. So that's bad luck, bro. You got to admit, that's bad luck. It's been a lot of uh, injuries and in main events. Very cursed year in, in that respect. You know, COVID ended, so, like, things got kind of back to normal in terms of, like, us having fights every single week and yada, yada, yada. But, like, man, there's been some crazy injuries. And, um, yeah, that's just man, the game. Ben, it's like if you, if you keep doing this out. for long enough, it's just like you're going to end up on the good side and the bad side of it. So it's like, I don't know. Some people, like, really, really, like, celebrating hardcore. It's like when they win those tickets, it's just like, man – that's completely fine, but like, don't be the guy crying. Oh my god! I, you know, you can't do it both ways. It's like if you lose, if you're on the losing side of a freak accident, freak injury like that, it's like don't be like, oh my god! Like, you know, it always happens to me. It's like you, you gotta. There's a happy balance. It's like take Bro, your money when on- you win, kind of, 
you know, when you lose, it's it is what it is. But you know, most people are pretty cool about it. Um, you see some people that are just like a little bit egregious, but that's Twitter in a nutshell. People are crazy. Yeah, there. well, people are always going to celebrate. I remember John Salter fought Jason McDonald in the UFC. I think it was Salter's UFC debut. Uh, Jason McDonald breaks his own leg, and Salter's on the cage, freaking out, celebrating like he had just won the Super Bowl, and everyone's booing him. Like, really? like I broke his leg in the first round. Like, how could you celebrate that? But, yeah, I get it. You want to win by any means necessary. If the opponent hurts himself, you'll take it. And the same thing here is, like, Cater hurts his knee and then Alan swarms on him. And Alan, when, when that fight ends, he's legitimately celebrating like, praise me, what a huge win. And it is a big win, but it's also like, eh, was it impressive? Didn't look that impressive. The guy kind of hurt himself. But yeah, you've got adrenaline just coursing through. You've trained. This is a huge yeah. win. Oh, I don't mind paper. The... You're going to get paid. It's like, I get it. But it seems like this year, now I'm on the wrong side of it, bro. We had TJ Dillashaw. I had... Brian Ortega, who like dislocates his shoulder going to the ground. I had Aaron Pico, who dislocated his shoulder in the Bellator fight. I had Junior Dos Santos. Oh, who's that putz? You had him on the Contender Series. He scored like a plus 500 ticket for you. Uh, leg kicks, guys. Lost to Junior Tafa. Terrible. You know exactly who I'm talking about. I don't know. Uh, let me just bring up Junior. Yeah, as soon as there's so many guys now that like guys that you used to remember their name 100% of the time, you now are like, who's that guy's name again? Um, also, probably sleep deprived because of the kids. No, 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 it's quite literally his last opponent. He fought him in Eagle FC. Jorgen DeCastro. Like, bro, bro, yeah, he's Eagle winning the first two rounds against Jorgen DeCastro. This is a walk in the park, home run on an otherwise good card to make money. What about Blades versus Aspinall with Cyber Young there? <laughs> Bro, that was another on the bad wrong one. Side of all of them, unbelievable, unbelievable. But the luck will turn around because that's life, right? That's and life. of course, life's not all that bad. You just people tend to focus more on their losses than they do their wins. That's human nature. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, they got robbed. They got robbed, and oh my god, I'm so unlucky when they lose. And it's just like I knew this was going to happen when they win. But I don't know. It is what it is. Uh, that's why I don't really, you know, I don't do too much like celebration every single time. If I win, lose, it's kind of like, all right, we're on to the next card. But we've been doing this for like 10 years now. So um, to get really nervous about like money, it's got to be a lot of money these days for me. Like my, what's the chemical imbalance for that? What is it exactly? A serotonin is absolutely destroyed when it comes to betting. Like, I need, I yeah, it really doesn't, like, affect me whatsoever anymore. People are like, how much did you win on that? How much did you lose? Like, when I'm watching with, like, friends and stuff, and they're, like, baffled that it doesn't really affect me. But, yeah, you you get enough heart, you get, you get enough heartbreak, sure. Cody. You get enough heartbreak, and it's just like, you know, oh, this is nothing compared to, like, that one time when, you know, when uh, oh, Maquan Amir Khani, yeah. like that, I always bring <laughs> that one that. back up. It's like Maquan Amir, that, that $17,000 would have been life changing. We we're both working a fight network, making next to nothing. That would have been life changing for me at that point in my life. But, you know, them's the breaks. I mean, luckily it happened in the middle of the card, so I had no idea until the card ended. And I won money that night, but. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's just the way she goes when you bet on people stripped in their underwear, fighting in a cage for money. That is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For producer Megan and Cody Safdick, 
I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Oh.